evening. It's wonderful to have everyone here, those of you who made it. We're having a bit of a snowstorm here in Kansas City. We're also having a back into the training thing, uh, swing of things with our educators. We have uh, educators from all over the country and some from Hawaii and Samoa. As you can imagine, it was a bit of a shock when we had a blizzard today, but <laughs> they are surviving through. Well, it's time to uh, get it over to Dr. John for the Technology Spotlight. There's a high power laser pointed right at Earth and a really powerful telescope with it. Ready to attack? Not quite. This isn't the aliens. This is actually ESA's new weather satellite, Aeolus. And they have a new way of measuring the wind speed, which is a really important thing when you're trying to uh, forecast the weather and stuff like that. So take a look at this. This satellite launched actually back in 2018, and it's been uh, going around the Earth, and they've been testing the instruments and getting ready to actually start using it. And they just barely started using the new wind data from the satellite. And so now the forecasts, at least over in Europe, maybe soon in the US, are a little bit more accurate than they were before, especially the one-day forecasts or the 10-day forecasts. You know how it goes. If you look at the 10-day forecast, it has about a 50% chance of being right, right? Somewhere around there, which means it's as good as not looking at it if you think about it, isn't it? <laughs> but why do they need a high-powered laser and a telescope on a satellite? Well, the way that this satellite works is it uses its high-power ultraviolet laser to shoot little bursts of light towards Earth. Those bursts of light will reflect off of the atmosphere. You know, that'll be the little air molecules of nitrogen and oxygen and hydrogen, whatever's there, and some of that light will reflect back. Most of it just gets scattered and uh, they don't see it again, but a little bit of it comes back. And that's where the telescope comes in. The telescope is used to detect the teensy bit of light that reflects back, and then they look at the Doppler shift of that light in order to calculate how fast the particles that reflected the light were moving. Remember, the Doppler shift is that change in frequency. So the light that comes back is a little bit closer to the blue or to the red than it was when it came out of the ultraviolet uh, laser. And so they can use that to calculate how fast the wind was moving and by which direction they were going, by which direction the wind was moving. And they can paint a picture of the forecast or the, the movement of the air in the lower 30 kilometers of the atmosphere. This is the first time that we can get this wind data when there aren't any clouds without having special instruments, maybe a weather balloon going up to measure the wind, or a special aircraft with instruments on it flying around measuring the wind speed. And so this is a lot of data about the weather that we didn't have access to before. They've been comparing the weather forecasts with their new data and without their data for quite a while now, getting ready to use it. And they found that especially in the southern hemisphere, where there are not as many weather stations and things, it's going to really improve the forecast. And so this is some pretty neat stuff, isn't it? So you can imagine there's a lot that goes into getting a good forecast. And they have supercomputers that pull in a whole bunch of data and try to figure out uh, what's going to happen in the weather. Some of you might remember when we were tracking hurricanes and they would always draw that picture on TV of the, the funnel of where the, the hurricane might go and uh, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and pretty soon you know it could go anywhere, right? <laughs> and uh, it's a really tricky thing to forecast the direction of storms like that and to forecast when it's going to happen. And so a little bit more information about what's really going on is the way that they can make these forecasts more accurate. So like I say, whether the weather, whatever the weather, whether we like it or not, <laughs> at least now we'll know, right? <laughs> well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. <laughs> all right. And now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. 
Okay, well, we're going to talk about air. How heavy is air? Is it heavy? Is there any weight to air? Um, you know, air is always used for those terms of light, you know. Oh, I feel light as air. You know? We're going to cut through like it was air, MacBook air. Um, <laughs> but how heavy is it? Well, it turns out air is actually more heavy than we had thought many years ago. In fact, it was the general idea that air was weightless, completely weightless. But in fact, there's a lot in air, a lot of molecules. In fact, if you took one cubic centimeter of space, so like interstellar space, which is like the tip of your pinky, scientists estimate that in average you'd find like one atom in that space. If you took one cubic centimeter of air on Earth, they estimate you you'd find about 10 quintillion molecules. And that sounds like a word I just made up to mean a lot. You know, she drops her phone like quintillion times. Uh, but that's like, it is a real number, and there's like 18 zeros. So 10 quintillion molecules in that small of a space. And they're tiny, but that air, that weight starts adding up. In fact, research shows, that, well, their estimate is that if you had an average school gym and you took all the air from that gym, the weight of that air would be about the weight of an elephant. But, okay, well, it's not like an elephant is on my shoulders right now, but because there's air throughout all of our atmosphere and it's spread out, so it's not like there's elephants on all of our shoulders. But the point is there is weight in the air. Now, how did we discover that and when did we determine that this was the case? Well, we're going to go to Galileo, and he had got a letter. This is in the 1600s. He got a letter of a problem. And the problem was to do with a siphon. And basically, if you don't know what a siphon is, if you have some kind of tube or a pipe, um, a really good example I like is if you have an aquarium over here and you need to get the poo off the bottom, you're going to siphon some of that water out. Well, if you take a tube, you stick one end in here, and if you're not smart, you don't do it the fancy way. You, <laughs> you suck, and you see the water coming down. Hopefully, it's a clear tube so you know when to stop and put it in the bin. <laughs> um, but once you get it going, the water comes down and pulls more water and you have a magical flow coming out of the aquarium into a bin or wherever you're siphoning it, which it has to be lower than the water in the tank. Well, it's not just coming down. If you, let's say you have your glass and the level of water is here. That means the siphon tube has to go up, pull the water up, and then down. So it's actually going up a lot of times and then going down. Pretty amazing. Well, they knew about the siphon stuff, not for fish tanks, but for moving water. And they came to Galileo with a problem because they were trying to siphon water over a hill and the hill was 70 feet. And for some reason, they could not get it to go over the hill. It would stop. And at the time, it was assumed that you could siphon. As long as this body of water was up and this body of water was down, that siphon could go as high as it needed to and get down to that lower body of water. Well, it wouldn't. So Galileo looked into this with some of his uh, helpers and students, you could call them, and they noticed some things. They did some tests and noticed that the water would not go higher than about 30 feet. It would not go up that siphon more than 30 feet. That was kind of like the cutoff. It wouldn't go higher. So one of his students started studying this, and his name was Torricelli, and he took a glass tube, and he filled it up with water. Eventually, uh, they changed to using mercury, which at room temperature is in liquid state. But so a liquid, and basically because mercury was more dense, they could scale down the experiment because they needed a really long glass tube be able to do the water experiment. So they used mercury in a smaller setup. But he took a glass tube, filled it with mercury, and then covered the end, took a, another, like a basin of mercury, turned their tube upside down, put the bottom in that basin, and then let go. Well, not let go of the tube, but took uncovered it. So you would expect maybe that liquid to run out of the tube into the basin that it was in. Well, the mercury started to come down the tube, and then it stopped, and it didn't go anymore. Now, first of all, that's pretty surprising. I mean, you would expect you know, it to come down. But secondly, it was assumed that there could never be a vacuum pulled where you would have a space with no air. If you, if you tried to do that, it, the liquid would not fall, was the assumption. But Torricelli, in his experiment, realized, wait a minute, no air went up the tube to fill that empty space that the mercury has now created. That is a vacuum. And so he, he really felt like that was a very important discovery. But something further. He was trying to figure out why isn't this mercury coming all the way down? What's holding it? Well, the assumption was, well, that pull of that empty space is holding the mercury up, right? Well, he did an experiment. He took 
another tube similar, only this one had a big empty space, like a ball on the top of it. So when he turned them over, you would expect with all that vacuum pull of that extra space, that one wouldn't fall as far. But they still fell the same amount. So something is keeping that mercury in there. It's not letting it come out. And he realized or theorized that there is pressure from the weight of the air pushing down on the liquid in the basin that is keeping that level of mercury from coming all the way out. Well, this was a huge discovery. And this, this was taken a step further by a French scientist who thought, okay, so if, if the air has weight and the, the weight of that air is pushing down, the, the pressure is pushing down on that liquid, if you go higher where there's less air, it should be less pressure pushing down. And um, he was doing experiments of his, his own with this setup. He was using wine, uh, pretty, you know, science and fun. But <laughs> he, he'd sent his brother-in-law up a mountain. Uh, that's the way to do it. Hey, you don't look like you're doing much. <laughs> Take this up to the top of the mountain. But he took one of these up to the top of the mountain, and the level went down as he got higher because the pressure was lower. So as he went up, the pressure went lower. And so this discovery... Uh, helped us to identify that there is actually pressure from that weight of the air, that the air has weight. And this, of course, would become known as the barometer. And in using this, we, can, we found we can help predict weather, not as accurately as John's fancy tech, but we can identify if the pressure in the air is getting lower or higher by if that level goes up or down. And we found that if you are seeing the pressure in the air, the atmospheric pressure go lower, then storms, precipitation, clouds are going to follow that and vice versa. When there's higher pressure, you can expect more of a sunny, more mild weather. And they would started using this on ships and predicting weather. Even today, barometers are very important in weather prediction by measuring the pressures. And they even use this on airplanes um, to be able to measure how high you've gone. Because if, if you take the pressure of where you start at as you go up, that pressure changes. So this is a technology, well, it would become a technology or a discovery that changed a lot of how we look at the weather patterns, the pressure of the air. And so just realize that right now, if you feel a lot of pressure, it's probably that air you're swimming in. So thank you. <laughs> All right. And now introducing Dr. Roger Billings. Thank you, and uh, welcome everybody. It's exciting to be here tonight and find out what we're going to talk about. Uh, I decided that I was going to be open-minded, and so I came tonight with a completely empty brain. <laughs> and so now I'm going to ask Dr. Monet if she'd please tell me what to talk about. No, that isn't the question I was going <laughs> to ask. I was going to say, I told I heard her you I'm going to ask her a question tonight. <laughs> now you that, read minds. <laughs> that actually wasn't it. I just want to say just a comment about uh, Tobias's air pressure, or actually barometric pressure. We call it barometric because it's measured in how far the mercury falls down in a tube. And you know he explained that very well uh, when I uh, am flying the airplane. You always check everything before you fly. You walk around the plane and make sure nothing's happened to the airplane because if someone's run into it with a car or something and dented the wing, it might not be a good time to take off because it won't fly right. But then you get in and you check all the instruments. You start the engine. You do a run-up. That's where you power up the engine. The propeller starts going at a pretty high RPM, not maximum power, but pretty high RPM, and it shakes and vibrates, and then you turn off the spark plug. Yeah, uh, aircraft engines, little, I'm talking about little planes now with propellers, they have two spark plugs in every cylinder, because if one spark plug goes out, the engine will stop, so they have a backup. And on your key, you have a position that is off, and then you have left spark plug, right spark plug, and then both. 
when you're flying, you want to use both. But when you're doing your run-up, you start on both, and you look at how fast the engine's turning, and then you turn back to left, and it slows down a little bit because it's not as much spark. And if it slows down more than 100 RPM, then you don't consider the engines in good condition to fly. You go back to both, you turn it to right and see if it slows down. But then the next thing you do is you set the atmospheric pressure. And you have an instrument called an altimeter. It tells you how high you are. And that's really important because when you're coming into land and things, you're supposed to be a certain height above the ground so that airplanes will be orderly and they won't run into each other. And to do that, you're going to look at your altimeter, but your altimeter is based on air pressure of the atmosphere. And so you have to always adjust for the weather of the day. And so you go ahead and set the barometric pressure. It's interesting, the barometric pressure is uh, given to you by the radio at the airport. They have an airman information radio, and you listen to it, and they tell you barometric pressure, and they tell you, and you put it in the little dial there, and it moves the needle, telling you your altitude. And the place that it moves to is exactly the altitude of the airport you're sitting at. Um, at Reno, Nevada, you're very high. A lot of airports are at sea level. It's neat. Anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. I like it. But that's not what I'm going to talk about tonight, because I've come with an open mind. <laughs> A completely open mind. And before uh, Dr. Monet decides to tell us what to talk about, I got to show you the neat thing that came today. At long glass, some of you have been waiting for this, we have hydrogen bottles. Hooray. Believe it or not, they arrived, and this is what they look like. If you can see it on here, it's kind of etched in here. It says, Dr. Hydrogen, <laughs> personal hydrogen generator. All right, and it says use often to stay hydrated. Well, what does that look like to you? To me, it looks like a prize for the science fair. So when we're asking what are going to be prizes, well, I am donating a few of these to the science fair for some of our winners. So if you want to win one of these, you know how to do it. Some of you can't find the link for the science fair. I think if you just go to the page we said, there it is. Did you find it? It's now on, we, we moved it because people were having a hard time finding information on it. So now guess where it is? It's now on acellus.com. Just scroll down the bottom of the page there and you'll see all the information on the science fair, okay? But also, if you scroll down there, if you want to get one of these for your birthday. <laughs> then you go down there to the Acela store. And just tonight, we stuck them in the Acela store, didn't we? And they're there, right? And uh, this, is, this is how they come. So this is a product that we developed because we think it might help people be healthier. So this would be an unboxing. <laughs> and there it is. Isn't that cool? So here's the bottom. I'll pull the bottom out first and show you. This is the most important part because this has the battery in it and it has the hydrogen electrolyzer. So this little thing splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. There's a little button on here that you turn on. Now, obviously, this screws onto the bottom of your reservoir. Whoops, turned it on, didn't I? If you get one of these, one thing you got to know, there. These are high-tech. They're a little tricky. There's the switch. You turn it on. And all you do to turn it on is touch it, except it's not quite that easy. To turn it on, you have to touch it twice. And some of you are going to say, it doesn't work. It won't turn on. I had one already today. <clears throat> Mine doesn't work. <laughs> one turned off. You just hold it for five seconds, and it turns off. Does that make sense? Another real neat thing about these particular water bottles is over time, the electrolyzer gets dirty. It builds up uh, corrosion. And so we have a little feature. Instead of tapping it twice, just put your finger on and hold it for five seconds. 
There it goes. And you hear it go beep, beep, beep. And now it's probably a little hard to see on that one. I'll show you on this one. If I hold it, it's going to turn on. There it is. And can you see the orange in there? That means it's in the cleaning mode. And this actually has a cleaning mode that runs for about five minutes and helps clean your, your electrodes, okay? The water you get after the cleaning mode, thou shalt not drink. <laughs> thou shalt serve that water to thine enemy. Oh. <laughs> I mean, throw it away is what I meant. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and turn that off, okay? There's a little place here to charge it. There's cover, so you have to open the cover, and then you plug it into a USB cable to charge it. Make sure, though, you don't get water in this hole. That does kind of ruin them. So this cover's on there to help keep it dry. You shouldn't immerse the space in water. Now, the, the tank, it's all screwed on here. Here's the lid. The tank is a nice, beautiful piece of glass. This goes on the bottom. I haven't rehearsed this part. There it goes. Goes on the bottom. Get a little snug so it won't leak. Fill it up with water. And you can just use tap water. It doesn't need to be hot water. It's better if it's just cold water. Screw the lid on. Why is it better if it's cold water, Dr. Monet? I don't know. I need you to tell me. So it doesn't ruin the bottle. My mind is blank. <laughs> Actually, I don't like to use hot water because hot water went through the water heater. And you know, when you first turn on hot water, it runs a little while before it gets hot because there's some of it in the pipe that's cooled down, but it still tastes like it cooked in the water heater. So I don't like the taste of it. So I like to use cold water, okay? So you fill this up with hydrogen, like this one here already is, and I'm, I'm seeing all these beautiful bubbles come shooting up from this thing, and it's in cleaning mode now. So I'm going to go ahead and hold it for five you seconds. Fill it up with water turned and off. Okay, now you put a water in. You tap it twice. One, two. Then it lights up blue, and it's now producing hydrogen. And maybe in front of this box, you can see that cloud. There's a lot of hydrogen bottles on the market, and I'm sure they're all good. But the thing I like about this design is the bubbles are extremely small. And since they're so small, more of it gets dissolved into the water. And I like that about it. It also has a, a bigger bottle on it. This is uh, almost a half liter of, or half quart of water. It's about 450, 460 milliliters. So that's quite a bit of water. And you should drink three of these a day. All right? If you... All the studies that said there's any benefits say drink a day. I find it a lot easier to drink this water than just regular tap water. And it does do some neat things. Now, it doesn't kill bacteria, so you can't use dirty water. Okay? And this one is making hydrogen in here now. It's all getting charged up. But remember, for a minute, I was running it in cleaning mode. So I'm not going to drink this water because it has the junk that it was cleaning out. Okay. Are you thirsty? I know. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to get ready for my answer. <laughs> Do you want to tell them about and, and not what drinking was, it right away? What, what was your answer? I'm not your enemy. <laughs> okay, good. And she wants, she wants to show off her knowledge. Okay, after it turns off, it'll turn off in about four minutes. Okay? And then she says we shouldn't drink it right away. How come? Well, the ladylike word is you get too much air in your stomach. <laughs> you mean it gives you gas? The scientific term is uh, what? Hydrogen sulfide or yeah. something? <laughs> All right, yeah. It, it, if, when it turns off, if you don't give the bubbles just a few seconds to rise up out of the water, you get gas. That, that's not good. Okay? It's not good gas, right? So I usually just wait, and it's only like a half a minute. When this turns off, which it's going to do in a few minutes, here we'll help it. I'll turn it off by holding this button for five seconds. Now, you see those little cloud in there? It's just gradually going to rise. So I give it 
you know, just maybe half a minute for that gas to come out before I drink, before I offer this to anyone to drink. <laughs> they okay. want to know if it's in the store for reals. Mr. David, is it in the store already? Yeah, but don't it. order it. We don't see it in the store. Please don't order it. Oh, there it is in the store. There it is. Guys. But don't order it, please. Why not? Because this is something that I made just for our cello students. And, uh, you know, this is like the super duper deluxe one. So it costs a little more than some of the others. It's really nice. It costs $99. And so to make these, Cost forty nine ninety or something like about fifty dollars to make them, and so what I've done is I've put them in the store so that you can get them at what they cost to manufacture them, and all you have to do to get the science price is put in the code of Doctor B, okay, and then the price go from ninety nine dollars to fifty. If it doesn't do that, then call and complain. But don't pay a hundred for it, for goodness sakes. That's for the not, that's for the people that use other learning systems. <laughs> well, we gotta take care of them too, okay? So you see how that works? Now there's some other neat little things. There's some little boxes in here. Uh, this box says Dr. Hydrogen. This is your charging cable. It's pretty cool. Nice packaging, huh? Designed by Marcy, thank you, Marcy. And this one says Dr. Hydrogen, and it has two things in it. This is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> this thing is a little holder you can put over the top, so you can be really cool how you hold it. Just stretches around, you know, like it was uh, Starbucks coffee, only it's Dr. Hydrogen water bottle. And this is the instruction manual that tells you all about how to use it and everything. Now, it says on here, if you have any questions, go to drhydrogen.com. Well, please don't do that. <laughs> because drhydrogen.com right now isn't up yet. <laughs> these, these aren't officially for sale except us right now. So this is what it's going to say on there. But first, we've got to put it on there. So don't go read this on there until we put it there. Does that make sense? And guess what? There's something else, too. Can you see that? You can say, oh. In the back is this little, this, this is kind of important. It's a cleaner brush. Because after you use this for a few days, it starts to build up sludge and stuff and it can grow bacteria. So you, you unscrew the bottom and don't put it in water. And then you take off the lid and you go in here and you, you can use... Uh, dish detergent to clean it, make it all pretty and shiny. See how pretty and shiny it is? It's good to keep it clean. The base, you want to take off when you do that, and the base you can clean very carefully. Make sure you don't get water in this hole. Remember I told you, that will ruin it. And uh, so you can wash this off and you can even pat it dry. But uh, don't put soap on here. You would be a dope if you put soap, okay? <laughs> it, it would be real hard on them. Everything's kind of neat. This lid has a big uh, cavity in it. So you can put the lid on and get a little bit snug. And when you go ahead and charge it, it builds up hydrogen in here and makes a little pressure. If you open it, or when you open it, it goes, you know, kind of cool. But that little pressure helps more Hydrogen dissolve, so it's good. We're just dissolving the hydrogen. Uh, if you make a charge full of hydrogen water and you let it sit for an hour, the hydrogen's gone. If you put the lid on, leave it on, it'll stay for hours, especially if there's a little pressure. So I hope you enjoy these. And uh, we don't have enough scientific research for me to really say that it helps anybody feel better. But uh, I'm hoping to have a whole bunch of people try it and see if it does any of those things they say. Like I say, there's over 600 medical papers saying all sorts of things about it. And uh, 
that's what made me do it because I think it might help people be a little bit more healthy. Uh, one person wrote an article and he says, well, I think it makes people a little bit healthier, but it may be just because they're drinking more water. That's true. Most people don't drink enough water. Almost all the processes in your body use water. And uh, having plenty of water cleans out the toxins and things. So if you don't have a hydrogen bottle, at least drink plenty of fresh water every day. Okay? Any questions? So the code um, DRB? Yeah, the, the code DRB. And I made it capital D, lower R, capital B, or all lowercase DRB or DR period B, I, every way I thought you could enter it, <laughs> Joshua put it in. So we should be, okay, if it doesn't work, try it without the period or something, but it, it should work. Please don't pay $99, okay? And you know, the best way to get these is win the science fair. <laughs> okay? Uh-huh. Isn't that great? It is. Okay. They okay. wanna know how it makes the hydrogen. Yeah. All right, how does it make the hydrogen? And this is the same way I make hydrogen for the hydrogen car. Uh, this technology, it's a proton exchange membrane. I started working with this uh, several years ago. I keep turning it accidentally on, tapping it twice. But uh, remember we, we talked before about this thin sheet of plastic-like material that's called a membrane. And in this case, the scientific description, it's a polyperfluorinated membrane. And the one that I use was the brand name of Nafion. This membrane has the property that when it's in the presence of water, it grabs water molecules and rips the hydrogen out of them and carries the hydrogen through the membrane to the other side. But they don't come out until you hook it up to electrodes and then the electricity pushes it out. So with that membrane in water, you have oxygen coming out one side, hydrogen coming out the other side. Make sense? And it's pretty neat. We can do a tour over at the hydrogen laboratory sometime and show you the stuff we've been doing with these. I developed uh, several different generations of these electrolyzers and literally uh, licensed them to a big company over in Europe that made them for a lot of people. And now it's neat that we're, we've got our own little personal hydrogen generators. Now some of you say, I want to get one to run my car. <laughs> what do you think about that idea, Dr. Monet? Could they get, one day they could drink it and then run their car? I don't think so. It'd have to be a real little car. <laughs> it, the the amount of hydrogen here is so minuscule that you really couldn't even run a lawnmower engine on it. But the ones I made were big ones. And I'd stack these cells up like a, a stack so I'd put a high voltage and I'd get a lot of them out. So there's not enough hydrogen for that, but it is hydrogen and it is pretty neat. Okay? Any more questions you have about this? <laughs> All right, good. Well, I've got a... Um, a video I want to show you, but before I do, I've kind of got a little mess here, don't I? I, I want to show you something else. Um, could you examine this and tell us what it is? It's a piece of paper, formerly known as a piece, wood. A piece of paper? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me, I've got a marker. I'm just going to go ahead and Right up here in the corner. Okay. I went ahead and marked that for you. Now what is it? It's a piece of paper with a one on it. And a piece of paper with a one up in the top left corner is also known as a as page one. Mm -hmm. Page one. That's why the number's there, so you can keep track That's of right. it. Page, page one. one. If I put a two here, then that'd be page. This isn't hard. <laughs> Don't you get it? Okay. I get it. Do you want could it back? I, could I have it back, please, for just a minute, and then I'll return it to you. Because I've been working on becoming an artist. 
Why is that funny? <laughs> and I would like to show you some of my art, Dr. Monet. Okay. You gotta hold the pen just right to get the maximum artistic effect. Beautiful, huh? Look at those lines. Okay. Now you go ahead and study that. Okay. And then, could you please tell us what it is now? It's page one with a J on it. No. 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 So you start out pretty good. We agree. This is a page, and that's a J. Uh -huh. Page A. <laughs> So tonight, I want to make sure that all of the students know how to pronounce Page. Page. It's a J on Is that right? Page. Now, as it turns out, we're lucky because I got some more paper. <laughs> and we're going to cram. We're going to do a double lesson tonight, two concepts. Some more art. Check that out. <laughs> you see that? Uh-huh. That's monnet. That's not. <laughs> monnet would be two T's. Monnet. <laughs> but if you're an alien from France, then how you say that? How do you say that, ma'am? Doctor, you say it Monet. 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 Like I need more Monet, <laughs> right? Okay, so let's just review. This is like pre-exam review. Page Monet. That's me. If you can learn this, you can learn how to say hello to her. That's right. I'm gonna sign these. I'm going to put it in my office, <laughs> frame it. You know, I once made that wonderful painting and my mother put it in the garage. <laughs> That's pretty clever. At first, it really offended me. It hurt my feelings. She loves my art so much, she hung it in the garage. Then I thought, well, that's where they put hydrogen cars. You know, it can't, can't all be so bad, can it? Is that how you spell it? They want to know how you spell it. <laughs> that's how you spell Monet, isn't it? Yeah. That's how you spell Monet. So, uh, seriously, on a, on a real serious note, we have a lot of students wondering what they should call you. Mm -hmm. And so, what do you like to be called? I like to be called Peugeot. Mm -hmm. So if you really, 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 really want to have a lot of respect, then you call her Peje. What do you call you if you don't want to have respect? <laughs> Dr. Monet works. Dr. Monet. If you're, if you're, I, I won't use that word. Anyway, good. I want to, I want to show him something else. This is kind of a is little. Is it magic? It, this is, this is a math thing. Oh. Okay. You see that? You see that number? Yes. Okay. These are uh, number cards. Number we cards. use them to teach numbers. <laughs> now, what I would like you to do is to choose any one of those cards and just kind of slide it out. But don't look at it. You got one? Okay. She has now chosen a number. And... Uh, we will now discover magically what number she chose. Please show us your card. <laughs> Them and you? Yeah, or us. I mean, us. We're together. <laughs> number one. Number one. Excellent, Ace. How many of you would like to see how she signs Page? <laughs> Sign it really, 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 really big cross there. Okay. Now hold it up like this and wave it. It's called drying the ink. <laughs> Excellent recap. Okay. Got that's it. Yeah, that's 
going to be enough. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask you it's to just what? go ahead. What? It's still what? No. And put the card right here on top of these other cards. Can you do that? Face down? Yeah, face down. Well, turn, you can turn either way you want. Which way do you want to turn it? This way? That way. <laughs> Seems to me this is pretty complicated. Okay, I think I'm finding your card. It's right here somewhere. Okay, I found her card. Just like that. That was a magic move. <laughs> and uh, I'd just like you to confirm that that is, in fact, the card you chose that with your signature. not my card. Oops, 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 sorry. <laughs> Time out. Number of cards, mine was one. Magic card. And that's your card, right? It's still not my card. Isn't that the one she chose? No, mine was black. Okay, so everybody's going to have times when you're getting ready for the science fair when you pull out the card the person chose and they deny it was their card. <laughs> and that's always very disconcerting, isn't it? So she says that's not her card. So what we have to do is use technology. Now this is a little piece of plastic formed into a holder. Can you see me? You can see through it, right? Can you uh -huh. see that? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take this card that she said, this is not my card. <laughs> I'm going to put it in there like so. And can you see the card through there? Yeah. What if I hold it real close? Can you see that? Okay, can you see it? Right? Yes, I can. Okay. So what you do is you hypnotize her <laughs> into thinking that this is her card. <laughs> I'm going to show you how it's done. You can try this at home, Okay. So you say, this card is your card. Oh. Let's see if it worked. Do you agree? It's, it's Not yet. Okay. Not my card. <laughs> Pay attention. Can you, can you get on this on the camera so they can see it too? Can you see it? Oh, it's really hard to see. We need a camera that gets way up here close. Oh, can you see her card in there? Yeah. Is that the one that you claim is not your card? Exactly. That's All right, now card. watch it very carefully. Oh, that is so cool. That is my card. Is that your card? It's my card. Thank you. Okay, you can keep that. By the way... I need you to sign it. This. Science of Dr. B right here. <laughs> hey, I'm smart. <laughs> I'll frame it. Put it I in signed office. it for stop sign. <laughs> Okay. She didn't say which sign, did she? Okay. I'd just like to say this is kind of a cute little illusion. And the technique was invented by a guy over in Japan named Masuda. I've never met him, but he must be very clever. He's a magician. And I think he made something really neat, didn't he? Okay? But where were we? Oh, yes, we were going to share with you the video. Do you remember we've been talking about this astaxanthin? And remember, it's the red stuff that we're finding is very, very good for our health. So we want it to be in our vitamins. We want it. it it's already what makes salmon pink. And it's one of the reasons that eating salmon, salmon is so good for your health. It's really hard, though, to grow salmon if, if you're in the ocean, you have an ocean and a big river up in Oregon or Washington, yeah, but w if you don't, then it's hard to grow salmon. So we've been working on a way to be able to grow it uh, wherever you live. And I think the idea of growing more fresh food at our homes is really important. A long time ago, uh, a lot of people had gardens by their homes. And because of that, they ate a lot of fresh produce, fresh food, fresh vegetables, even fresh fruit. We got away from that quite a bit. And I think it's probably not so good for our health. We need those fresh foods, less preservatives, etc. Some people are really concerned that 
our climate is going to eventually change and it's going to be very hard to maintain our, our farming and our gardening. And either way, I think it's really good for us to develop technologies to be able to have indoor farms. And with the, the new technologies that are available in a closet, in your home, in a basement, in your garage, in a shed, wherever you have a place, you can produce fresh produce, tomatoes, healthy food, and uh, in some cases, at least maybe in an old warehouse or something, even grow tilapia fish. And we can make the fish very, very healthy if we can feed them this astaxanthin. Now, we've been working on this over in our laboratory, and I told you about it, but tonight I decided you probably want to see it. So we went over there and uh, filmed uh, what's going on in the laboratory, and I'd like to show that to you now. Is it okay? It'd be awesome. All right. Yes. Okay, come in here for a minute. I want to show you this laboratory where we're researching underground or indoor raising of plants, our indoor gardens. Okay, these are some plants that are growing in hydroponic solution. This is a water that has a chemical added to it, and we talked about this before, but the chemical has all the ingredients that plants need to grow. Now, if you notice, this one is bright green, and these are our brand new, very high efficient, and very affordable digital lights. These are getting affordable enough so you can make a garden of these kind of lights in your home. You can see here we're growing lettuce. This is our older lights. Now if you look up underneath, you'll notice that these lights are red and blue. These are the two colors that plants absorb when they're doing photosynthesis. The problem is these bulbs are about $50 a piece, so if you build much of a garden, you're going to spend a lot of money. The new ones are $3 a piece, and they're more highly efficient. So we think that's going to be kind of interesting. Come on down here and I'll show you uh, an interesting observation. Here is a plant that is growing under the red and the blue lights. Can you see that these leaves look like they're black? The reason that they're black is because they're absorbing all of the red and all of the blue light. And so there's no light reflecting. All of the light is going in to make them grow. Now let's bring a white light over here and see if we can change the color a bit. Okay, can you see that they turn green? We now put white light on them so you can see their real color. And so this is part of the research we're doing to figure out how to uh, use the electricity very efficiently because if we're gonna use electricity that we're purchasing, then we wanna use it very efficiently. This is a, a rock wool, actually kind of rock that is heated up and expanded and it's a good way to hold the seed and the roots. And down inside, if you can see, is the water that is circulating through these tanks and providing the nutrients. So we just stick this down in here. And we're going to actually get a whole class so we can teach ourselves kids how to do this at home. Because when we have really fresh, nutritious food, we're going to be healthier, we're going to feel better. And it's important to be able to do that, especially as times go on. You remember I told you about this magic element called astaxanthin, and I want to show that to you now. These are some ghost shrimp living in this aquarium. These little shrimp are really interesting creatures because you can see right through them. Now first I want to show you some that uh, are ready for dinner. They haven't eaten recently, and you'll notice they just look like little ghost shrimp. Okay, now we're going to take a time out. I'm going to go ahead and feed them some algae. If you can see this particular container, this is microalgae that is growing, that is green because it has chlorophyll, it's collecting light, and it's growing. When you put this algae on the grow lights and you leave the lights bright and leave them on for 24 hours, it becomes scalded, and it starts to turn this orange-red color, which is when you're creating astaxanthin. Now, astaxanthin is a molecule 
that is a very, very long chain. If, if we could see atoms, it would look like little worms, long worms, and they absorb all the colors of light except for this orange-red color, and so it reflects back, and that's how we see them. It is a really interesting molecule in that it has a lot of properties that seem to benefit healthy bodies. Uh, the research is just really starting to come out on the health benefits of astaxanthin, but they're talking about things like helping your heart, helping fight cancer tumors, a lot of real good properties. This is the stuff that makes salmon kind of have that reddish pink color. It's also what makes uh, things like crabs that color. Almost everything that's that color in the ocean is because of this astaxanthin. And we're learning how to produce it in the laboratory so that we could produce it in indoor gardens. Someday, we hope to perfect this technology where everybody can have an indoor garden. And they would be able to produce the algae with these digital lights. The algae, of course, is the beautiful green color. And it really is absorbing light and turned it into the basic part of the food chain. Then we stress it in cycles so we get the astaxanthin or the red version of the algae. We then feed this to the shrimp and eventually we feed it to the tilapia fish and then eventually we feed that to us and we get really healthy. So this is some of the fun research we're doing here. Okay, now we're gonna feed the ghost shrimp in the aquarium here some of the astaxanthin so we get a little bit out, we let it go in the aquarium, and as it floats down in the aquarium, these little guys are gonna say, oh good, it's time for red dinner. And this is their version of eating you know, salmon because they get this color. And as they start to eat, we're gonna let them eat for a little while. Let's take a time out. Okay, we'll go away. Okay, now look at these little guys. They've been feasting on that astaxanthin. And as it's gone into their little bellies, it's becoming part of their tissue. And you can see the color actually changing. And that's pretty neat. These little guys are now going to be ready to feed to the fish. And the fish are going to look like salmon. And lo and behold, here's a fish that you'll be able to actually grow in your basement or in a closet or even in a commercial old warehouse or something. If we can get this perfected, it's going to make a lot of people a lot healthier. All right. Yes, cool. So uh, that would be one of our first field trips over to the laboratory. We'll be doing a lot more. There's a lot of really neat experiments going on. And some of you that are studying very hard, uh, you know, maybe someday you'll come here and do your college work. Uh, we really like Acellus graduates going to our International Academy of Science College. And uh, interesting thing, when you're applying for college here, one of the things we look at when we're giving out scholarships is science fair projects. Uh, when I uh, entered science fair in high school, I won the local science fair, and I eventually went all the way to the international science fair, which that year was held in Dallas, Texas. And there I won a, the gold and silver award and a scholarship to the university of my choice. So there, there can be a lot of benefits of the science fair. I was very grateful for the scholarship, but I think the biggest value was the way it helped me understand the scientific method and move forward in my career. So I, again, uh, encourage anybody that has an interest in uh, experiencing the science fair, get involved. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, we have had a lot of questions about it. Somebody said you couldn't find a link, and so we made a new one. You should be able to find it now, solace.com, down the bottom of the page. There it is. Click on it. Uh, we've had some other students ask if this year we're going to have a graduation ceremony. And the answer is yes. We'll be having this part of a Cellus World, which is coming up in May. And uh, if you uh, are able to, to join us 
and you happen to be graduating, uh, you can wear a cap and gown. We have a place here you can get them, or you can even find one locally where you live. And you know, when, when schools graduate, they always wear a cap and a gown that's the color of their high school colors. We like all the colors. You can wear any color you want. So <laughs> we're going to have a rainbow graduation. But uh, the, the answer is definitely yes, we will have another graduation. We're getting a lot more uh, Cellus graduates. And it's fun because many of our students are graduating with very high grade point averages, and they're scoring very high on the national testing, like ACT and SAT. We have a lot of students that are getting scholarships at universities all over. So uh, keep studying hard. It's, uh, it's sure going to get you started off well in your life. Uh, oh, let me see your computer, please. Could I, could please. I borrow it for just a second? It looks like there's a message coming in. Boy, we're getting a lot of messages tonight, yeah, aren't we? Messages. This okay. is fun. <laughs> you know, uh, after these meetings, we go read the messages. Some of them are really fun. They do. Yeah. Oh, here's a question. Oh, yeah? Um, if we feed tilapia to Dr. Peget, will she turn red? <laughs> I was wondering about that, because if you eat enough carrots, your mouth turns That's red. my science I mean, fair orange. project. Oh. <laughs> they also want to know how you spell my name. How do you spell my name? M-Y. Space. <laughs> how do you spell Peugeot? Yeah. Okay, give me my other papers back. And the J one? It turns out that the third paper is missing. But not to worry, because I can crowd it in here. Okay, we're going to spell, because they need to know this. That's kind of like smiley face. Okay, let's see if we can zoom in close enough to see that. Can you see how nicely that's spelled? Mm -hmm. um, of course, I believe in Mark Twain. Mark Twain said that he feels sorry for anybody that only knows one way to spell a word. <laughs> I, I told like my that. English teacher that in high school, and she did not laugh. <laughs> yeah, you left the accent mark yeah. off. Okay, let's get it. Page. If you Pe want to be real fancy, you can see that accent on there. One more zoom in. See, it's over the E. Mm -hmm. It's so that everybody it's will know you don't say Paget. Thank you. <laughs> Paget. Oh. Paget right. Monet. Mm -hmm. Paget Monet. Mm -hmm. Paget Monet. Okay. Well, now we know who you are, and uh, she likes to be called Paget. So, we'll call her Doctor Monet. <laughs> you can call me. All right. We want to thank everybody for joining with us tonight. And uh, science is really exciting. It's nice to know that we've got new satellites shooting lasers at us, <laughs> which is really amazing. And it's nice that we found out how heavy atmosphere is. How heavy is it, by the way, uh, Tobias? Do we happen to know how much it is? Of course, as the weather changes, the weight changes a little bit. But how much is it? Is it about 14.6 pounds per square foot? At sea level, yeah. And that's kind of interesting, 14 pounds. I mean, a pound of sugar is one pound, right? That's why they call it a pound. Mm -hmm. So 14 would be like 14 bags of sugar. That's, that's pretty heavy. And that's how much one square foot, or excuse me, one, not square foot, what, yeah, one square foot going clear up to the atmosphere of areas pushing down on us. Kind of interesting. They have these machines that uh, have a vacuum pump pull all of the air out of a chamber, and if you put like a pop can or something in it, it'll just crush it. And what's crushing it is the air pressure pushing down on the bag. So air pressure can push pretty hard. And maybe we'll do some experiments to show some of this. And thank you. Have a good night. Uh, when. Win the science fair. And, you know, even if it takes you a few years, it's worth it. Okay? Bye-bye.
right. Well, thank you all for joining us tonight. Have a great week, and we'll see you later on. Have a good night. Mm -hmm.